there today. The wide open band is over there, and they get there at seven o'clock. And it's just such an honor to serve for me as the pastor of this church to serve in a place where people are dedicated, committed, and faithful. And that's what God's looking for: faithful people. Amen. You have an empty seat, and uh, we're, we're praying over every empty seat. And Jesus said, we're to compel them to come, that my house might be full. And what's going to happen is, and we're almost there right now, actually, based on kind of church growth statistics, this campus already should go to two services. We should have a 9 o'clock and a 10.30. And uh, so that's probably going to be happening in our future here. But we have some technical details to work out with video and that kind of thing. I want to encourage you, keep bringing people, keep encouraging people to come to the 9 o'clock service. And the Easter is coming up. And you've already heard Christina talk about the amigos. You know, bring your three amigos. I mean, bring your amigos. Uh, bring your candy and, and all these kinds of things that we do, the baskets and all that for the kids. And then we are having, in October, we're actually taking a team of people. We're partnering with two other churches. And uh, in two weeks, we will have the missionary that's heading this project up. He's built over 500 churches around the world. And uh, he's going to be with us. He's going to talk about the project in Cuba. We're going to see some videos. We're going to see some pictures of the actual current church that's meeting in Cuba right now and the facility that we're partnering with a couple of other churches in our community to build there. So it's going to be a really exciting day. Easter Easter is the high holy day, actually the whole weekend. You, know, you start on Monday Thursday where the disciples had their last meal together. That's a special day. I didn't grow up in a church that had ever practiced or celebrated or, or made that part of the tradition. But the older I get... More I value things that are sacred. Those were sacred days. Those were holy days. Those were days in preparation that Christ went to the cross. And the older I get, the, the more precious the cross becomes to me. What Jesus did for me becomes more special. Because I realize that without Jesus, I am nothing. But I Come on, amen. Without Jesus, I am nothing. Amen. And so, you know, starting with Body Thursday, Good Friday. We have an awesome Good Friday. I have a message this year entitled, It is Finished. God put it on my heart about a month ago, and this is going to be a great Good Friday service. We want to bring your friends, we take communion, special time of worship together as a church, and then our Easter celebration service will have both services, the 9 o'clock and the 10.30, because you guys are already a church of 500 people right on this campus alone. So you're going to bring your friends, and we'll have 500 for the 9 o'clock service, and we'll have 500, we'll be over 1,000 for Easter. Can you believe with me, amen? Come on, amen. In this city, there are people that don't know Jesus yet. In this city, the reason I came to this city, the reason I moved my family 3,500 miles, no promise of a job, no promise anybody would ever come to the church that we were starting, no guarantees of a salary, nothing. The reason I moved here is because I wanted to see people outside of faith come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And i got to tell you, the Lord has honored that desire in my heart to see people come to faith in Christ. And over the years, the last 12 years, this Easter will actually be our 13th anniversary, and I believe it's going to be the best yet. Come on, amen? It's going to be the best yet. The best is yet to come. God's given me vision for the future. I've got fresh vision for the future of this church. God's given me a clear, I just got a fresh burden for the people of this community. And uh, right now, this community is coming to the lim limelight in a negative way. And I want to take just a moment, and we're going to pray for our city it's been in the news every day for the last week. This young man, Trevon, was shot and killed not too far from here in a, in a, in a housing complex. And uh, the devastation of the parents. I want to pray for the Martin family today, for the father and the mother. And, and, and God knows what happened there. God knows. And we're going to pray that God's will be done. We're going to pray for justice in our community. 
Come on, we're going to pray for justice. We're going to pray for this family that lost a son and this man that pulled the trigger. I'm sure he's got a lot of second doubts and, and woulda, coulda, shouldas right now going through his mind. Can we just pray for this situation? Can we just come into an agreement right now? Father, we come into an agreement as a church family. Lord, your desire is for peace. And when Satan incites evil, when Satan incites something, this kind of thing to happen in a community, he would love to turn it for evil and for, for negativity. But God, we believe today that your healing hand will move in this situation. And you'll bring unity and you'll bring peace. And I pray for the Martin family right now. God, I come into an agreement. I can't even imagine, Lord, my son being killed at this age. It's just, just devastating. And God, I pray that your grace would be with them. God, I pray that they would not harbor bitterness in their heart, even through all this pain and sorrow and sadness. But God, this will somehow be turned for good in this community. God, I thank you for this city church, this church right here that has a passion. Our, our, our desire from the very beginning was to reach every man, woman, boy, and girl, regardless of race, creed, color, regardless of social economic background. God, our desire is to see your people to become one. And so we pray for the city of Sanford. We pray for the churches to unite, God, in a way that we've never united. We pray for the leadership. We pray for our mayor, Jeff Triplett, right now, God. I pray your grace would be with him. And Father, I pray for the, all the families and all the people involved. God, we pray your kingdom come. Your will be done in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. That's good. You can clap at that one. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. We're in a series, and, and we've been in this series for, I guess, I counted the other day. Can you put the first, the 40 days, of, uh, the 40 days, uh, uh, love the Bible slide up? Do you have that one on there? Do you have a 40 day slide, the very first one? There we go. There we go. This morning we're going to talk about how to interpret the Bible. We have been talking about what the uh, we've been talking about the value of the Bible, what the Bible means to me, how we can live our life by by the Bible. We talk about illumination, how the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the Bible. And this morning I'm going to talk to you about interpreting the Bible. How to interpret the Bible. This is one of those messages I've wrestled through, and actually I have never. I've taught Bible classes, I've taught Bible study classes, I've done it in a small group. But on a Sunday morning, I have never talked about, I've never talked about how you, as a people of God, could study the Bible for yourself. How to rightly divide the word of truth. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, he said, study to show yourselves approved. Study. Here's the deal. There is no virtue in being ignorant. There's no virtue in being ignorant. There's a saying in our culture, knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. Guys that invest in the marketplace, guys that invest in the stock market or real estate, they understand this concept. Just a little piece of information about a trade or some kind of sell or some kind of activity taking place in a corporation or a company can be great benefits and great gains to them. Because they understand that if they have just a little more knowledge than the next guy, they can make better decisions. And God has given us His Word. Solomon said, in all you're getting, get wisdom. In all you're getting, get wisdom. And where does wisdom come from? True wisdom comes from God. And God has spoken to us. God has spoken to every person. And the way that God has spoken and revealed His will, His purpose, His plan for your marriage, for your money, for your sexual life, for, uh, for how you raise your kids, how you treat your neighbor, how you act on your job. 
I mean, every single matter in your life, God has already spoken to us and given us understanding on how we're to live. He just spoke it through men who lived a long time ago. So over a period of 1,400 years, 40 different authors wrote words that were inspired by God's Spirit and they put them down on parchment paper in the Hebrew language and in the Greek language in the New Testament and Aramaic and they put these words down. And over the last 3,000 years, 4,000 years, these words have guided the people of God. First, the nation of Israel, beginning with Moses, when God gave him the law in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. God gave him the words. He actually wrote them down on a tablet. And they were the way that they were to raise their family, to live their life, to treat their economics, their, their relationships with other nations, and how to judge, and how to make right decisions. And for the last 3,500 years, the people of God have always used this book as their source of truth. There is truth. We live in a generation that doesn't believe in truth. We live in a generation that says any way that you can get to God's okay. It's kind of a multicultural, multi-pluralistic, every way is okay. Whatever pathway you choose is alright. But that's not what God says. That's not what God says. And we come today, we come to how to interpret the Bible. I've wrestled, I've wrangled, and tried to, I want to communicate this in the next 30 minutes as clearly as I can to you. I want to give you some basic tools and you should have a handout this morning that's going to help you as we go through this how to interpret the Bible, how to read the Bible or understand the meaning of a text. And This morning we're going to read John chapter 15. John chapter 15, actually John 13 through John 17 are some of my very favorite chapters of the, of the whole Bible because this is Jesus Himself pouring out His heart to the guys, the 12 guys that He's been living with for three and a half years. The 12 guys that He's traveled all around the Galilean and the Judean area and around the Sea of Galilee and Capernaum and preaching the good news, casting out devils, healing the sick, telling people how to live the abundant life. And He's getting down to the final moments of His life and He's giving them some instructions. He's telling, okay guys, I'm wrapping it all up. i got to go away. There's some, some things that are going to happen. You're not going to understand. But listen to me. And I love this in John 15. We're going to read John 15. We're going to uh, kind of move our way through a couple of other texts in John 13 and 14. But John chapter 15, Jesus said this. I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You're going to see a pattern here. You're going to see a couple of words that are mentioned, that are used. The word remain. The word fruit. You're going to see this in this passage here that Jesus is talking. This is very significant. If you remain in me, my words remain in you, in, in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain. If you have your pen out, you could actually circle. I've actually circled this word in my Bible. This is such a significant word. Jesus has a word for you. Jesus has a word for you. 
remain in my love. You see, God did His part 2,000 years ago when He sent Jesus, born of a virgin, who, virgin, who lived a sinless, perfect life, who went around doing good, proclaiming the message of the kingdom and how to have a relationship with the Father. He did His part. Now God says through His Son, you have your part. Your part as a Christian is to remain in His love. And He's going to talk about that. Verse number 9. As the Father has loved me, so now I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Verse 10. If you keep my commands, if you keep my commands, if you keep my ways, you will remain in my love just as I kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The theme, this, the whole text that we just read, everything, all the verses, everything that Jesus said is summed up. You can actually write key verse. This is a key verse in this text. It, I have told you this so that my joy. The Bible says that Jesus had a joy above any other person that lived in life. You know why he had a joy? Because he was always divinely connected to the Father. One of the barometers that I use in my life that my life is not quite in, in alignment is if I have an absence of joy. You know how I know how I'm in absence of joy? I'm focused on the wrong things. I'm discouraged about lack of money. I'm discouraged about this relationship. Or I'm frustrated about this. Area. The moment I start going down those trails, I recognize something is awry in my spirit. The joy of the Lord shall be your strength. If you remain in Him, look what he says here. If you remain in Him, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My commandment is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants. We sang this song this morning, I am a friend of God. You're no longer just a servant. Yes, we are bond slaves of Christ. But now because of this relationship, this divine relationship, because of what Jesus did when He came to earth and He died on the cross and He rose from the dead and He sent His Spirit, because of that reality, because of that reality, He's calling you a friend. He calls you a friend. We used to sing the song, What a friend we have in Jesus. And I love some of those old songs and I sing them. There's something inside where it takes me back. It takes me back to a time in my life when that really stood out in my mind. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master's business is. Instead, I call you friends. For everything I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last or fruit that remain so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command that you love one another. Wow. I mean, we could spend seven, we could spend four months on these 17 verses, but I got 25 minutes. I got 25 minutes to talk to you and inspire you. You see, this book right here is the only book that will lead you to the path of abundant life. This book right here is the only path that will teach you how to live a victorious life. How to live a life of joy. How to, you can, how to live a life so you don't have to take pills for depression or discouragement or all the things that people get stuck in our culture. This book right here will lead you to the path of life. And when you start to dedicate your life, this book is the only book that will keep you from sin. And sin is the only thing that will keep you from this book. This book has the power. It's living. 
It's active. The words, when you begin to study it, they begin to jump off the page. And this morning, I want to talk to you about how when the words jump off the page, how you can rightly interpret them. A lot of people, a lot of people use the Bible to say whatever they want to say. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of weird, kooky ideas out there. When I was a kid, I remember uh, there was a guy, I was a young Christian, and there was a guy that wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Going to Come Back in 88. He wrote a book. And, and we just had a guy just recently from California, a guy that owns a bunch of Christian radio stations, make a prophecy that Jesus was going to return like May 14th or something. And, and you know what? Every time guys predict, try to make some kind of prediction when Jesus is going to return, you know what I say? I don't even have to listen to him. I don't even have to try to figure out if they're right, right or wrong. You know, there's this Mayan prophecy supposedly going to happen in 2000. What's that? This year, right? May. The whole, you know what I say? That's stupid. It ain't going to happen. It's dumb. Because they're not rightly dividing the word of truth. Jesus said, any man that tries to set a date, no one knows the date or the hour except for the Father above. And he ain't going to tell some dangling down here on planet earth. If he didn't tell Jesus, why would he tell some ding-a-ling down here? And all these people follow. Did you hear so and so? 88 and they get on TV and I'm like, my goodness, come on. That years I was in Portland and, and we had a witnessing team that used to go down every Friday night and witness on the streets of Portland. And I was downtown, I was sharing the gospel and there was this guy down there and he was just weird. He was one of these guys, he was, he, he knew the Bible. I mean, he knew the Bible. He could quote the Bible. As a matter of fact, he had his Bible open all the time. I mean, passages were underlined. And he had a group of people around that he was teaching. And he was teaching these people that he was Jesus come again. That's what he was teaching them. And I remember trying to get into a dialogue with this guy. And he was so whacked out. And his theology was so messed up about who he was. That I mean, he couldn't hear anybody else. He was deceived. He believed a lie. You know why that was? Because he didn't rightly divide the word of truth. See, knowledge is powerful. And what you don't know can hurt you. Ignorance is not a virtue. Well, I didn't know that, Jesus. Well, you know what? You have so many opportunities. I don't have my little cell phone on me. But my goodness. I mean, I read the Bible now more than I ever have because i got my cell phone. And I've got this little app on there. And every time I think of a word or something, I put the word in. This week it was confidence. I needed more confidence. I was being shaken by some of the events in my life. So I looked up every verse on confidence. And I just start reading them like we talked about in our Bible study on Friday night. And if you're not in a Bible study, a 40-day Bible study, guys, we've still got one or two more weeks. You can still do it. It's incredible. And I was reading about confidence. and My confidence is not in myself. My confidence is in God. This is the confidence that we have in Him. It's the confidence we have in Him. And I was reading those verses. And I began to pray those verses. See, when you start to interpret the Bible... We start to read the Bible. You must recognize that ignorance is no virtue. And so this morning, as we look at our passage, as we look at our text, we, we really, we gotta ask ourselves, what's the context? The first thing that, you know, I think you got a little blank there. You gotta consider the historical con context. Who was writing? Who were they speaking to? Who were they speaking to? Well, in our context this morning, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he's giving them some final instructions before he is crucified. Before he goes to the cross, he's resurrected from the dead, he hangs around for about 40 days and he ascends into heaven. He's, you gotta understand the historical context, what is happening here. 
In John 13 through 17, Jesus is actually just laying it out. He's just laying out the life. And as a matter of fact, in John 13, it's a really cool story. Because in this story, Jesus starts to talk about what it is to be a servant. And all the guys come in from outside and they're getting ready to have the Passover meal. The context this morning is that these were Jewish men and they were going to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Because they were good Jews. Uh, Jesus didn't come here to start a religion. Jesus came here to bring men into right relationship with God. Someone said, Amen. Come on. Jesus didn't come here to start a religion. He came here to, to bring people in the right relationship with God. And so here's these Jewish guys sitting around, and here's their teacher, the guy that they've been traveling with, their leader that's handpicked them to follow. And he said, Listen, guys, you didn't choose me, I chose you. You know, the fact that you're here today, hear my voice? You know, all. I'm choosing. Well, there was something inside of your heart that when Jesus started knocking on the door of your heart, you responded. That's why you're here. He chose us. He chose us. And so Jesus starts to talk about what it's like to be a kingdom person. What it's like to be great in His kingdom. And the Bible says that they came in and they were dirty. And, and he, he, he takes off His outer cloak and He gets a towel. He sets the guys down. He starts to wash their feet. Start to have a foot washing ceremony. Well, you know, today in our culture, there's times, and, and I'm not saying it's never appropriate, but there's whole denominations that have built their movement that every time they meet on Sunday, they have to wash one another's feet. Well, I don't know about you, but my feet get washed many times a week. You know, I'm not walking through the dusty trails of Central Florida uh, on, on, on dirt roads. I mean, I wear shoes and, and my feet are pretty clean. I don't even want you to see my nasty feet. But in Jesus' day, it wasn't that way. It was dirty, dusty. There was, you know, the roads. They were smelly. They were stinky. And they came in and they needed, and that's what would happen. Servants would come. And one of the services, if you went to a place of hospitality, you went to, uh, I went to a little place where people would stay, a hotel or a hospice, they would, the servants would wash the people's feet. And it was for the lowliest, it was for the lowliest of people. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a position of a king or a person who was a great leader. They, they, for them to, for Jesus to take out the outer cloak and to be able to wash these guys' feet, he's like, man, he's showing what it is to really be a great person in God's kingdom. The truly great in God's kingdom is willing to serve anyone Anywhere, anytime, regardless of race, regardless of social economic condition. Come on. Regardless of what they believe, what their values are, how goofed up they are. Jesus, being the greatest, served the least. And then he's got one guy, Peter. One guy that, you know, I don't know about you, but I read Peter. I just identify with him. You know, he's always got the foot in the mouth disease. Says at the wrong time, you know, just can't quite get it right. And he's like, oh, you ain't going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you will not have any part of me. He said, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a second. I like what's going on. I like Jesus. I like what's going on. Okay, Jesus, not only you can wash my feet, you can wash the whole enchilada. I mean, you can wash my head. You can wash my arms. You can wash my whole body. No, I'm just going to wash your feet, Peter. You can take care of that other part. John 13, we see Jesus demonstrating. And in the rest of John 13, he talks about one who's going to betray him. And then about this relationship, this relationship of love that they are to have with one another. Right there, Jesus identified in the midst, he identified a betrayer. And as we go through this passage, it's such a beautiful, positive, positive scripture passage, John 13 through 17. But through the thread of it, there's always this sense, there's always this understanding that you have a choice to make. 
you have a choice to make. And so as you're reading the, this text, you're reading John 15, or you're looking at John 13, we go to John 14, and John 14 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, because John 14, Jesus makes a number of promises. And He makes a number of promises about prayer. But as I went through John 14, you, you see in John 14, 1 through 6 and 1 through 11, He's talking about heaven and how to get to heaven. He's talking about heaven and how you can get to heaven. And, and, and I, I was thinking, I mean, because I've quoted this verse so many times, but the context of this verse is that He's laying out a clear pathway for these guys to walk. And He says this in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes into the Father except through Me. And almost every time I start to share my faith with someone and they start to oppose it, they almost always oppose it on the issue of how do you know that Jesus is the only way? You know, how come not Buddha? How come not Muhammad? How come not Harry Krishna? Or whatever, you know, whatever belief system they want to wrap their brain around. How come not these other ways? And I said, listen, I didn't write the message. I just reported to you what Jesus said. Jesus said, I'm going home to prepare a place for you. And if it were not so, I would have not told you. In my Father's house, the King James says, there are many mansions. The NIV translates that word dwelling places. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. There are many places. And if it were not so, I would not have told you. Then he says, and I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Just lays out the path. It's really clear. So he's talking about heaven, about eternal life. And then he, he, he talks about prayer talks about this reality that you're going to be in right relation if you remain in him king james uses the word abide the word remain just means to hang out that's what it means it means to hang out if you hang out with him you know what you're doing today you're hanging out with jesus you know why how i know you're hanging out with jesus because you're in a god place you're in a god house you're in a place where the Spirit of Jesus is right now. That's what you felt. Some of you responded to the altar service time because you felt something in your heart saying, yes, that's my solution. You know what that was? That was God's Holy Spirit. That was the Spirit of God. And Jesus is here and He's in our midst. And then in this atmosphere of understanding this faith, He makes some incredible promises about remaining. Some incredible promises about remaining and about prayer. And then he talks about the person of the Holy Spirit in John 14 and how the, Jesus promises that He's going to give us the Spirit of truth. And He'll be our counselor. He'll be our comforter. The word parakletos in the Greek, Greek means comforter or one who counsels, counsels us in our time of need. And He gives us His Holy Spirit. See, I don't know about you, but I need that today. I needed that assurance. I needed that assurance for where I am in my life, what's happening in my world. That was a promise that He made if I remain in Him, that His Spirit would remain in me. Oh, and He would be my comforter, my counselor, and He would guide me and lead me into all truth. You see, uh, you have the Holy Spirit in you as a believer. And He will lead you into truth. And as you devote yourself to studying the Bible, the truth of God's Word will lead you. My wife did the illustration with the cell phone on the little flashlight that she has on it. It will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. And the Word starts to become a light unto your feet and a lamp into the direction that you're to go. And you start thinking about almost all the problems you have in your life. If you're really honest about it, you might want to try to blame your wife and blame your boss and blame the U.S. government. You can blame whatever you want. But almost most of the problems we have in our life are a result of not allowing the Word of God to light our feet and, lamp our, and be a lamp to our path. Most of them. Most of the issues. People sleeping in the wrong beds. People making the wrong decisions about their finances. I mean, all these things are a result of not following the path that God has laid out for us. 
And He's given us this promise that He's going to return again. Jesus is going to come again. He's going to come again. He's going to return. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. He's going to come. But He's only coming for those who are remaining. He's only coming for those who are remaining. John 15. So now we make our way to John 15. And he leaves this place. And he says, John 14, 30, he says, let's leave this place. And he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. As he's leaving this place, he's talking to the disciples. He's walking among the vineyards. And he's talking to his disciples about these things that are to come. And listen, he says in John 15, 11, I've told you these things so that your joy may be in me. And that your joy, I love the King James, so that your joy may be full. Although joy may be complete. I like the concept of fullness. He wants you to have full joy. I love being around people that are happy, don't you? How many of you like to be around a cantankerous, grunt, grunt, grumpy, cranky, whiny individual? How many of you just like to hang out with those people? Anybody here like to do that? Come on, none of us. You know, I've got to get my first cup of coffee in the, in the morning. I'm a little better. But, but, I mean, no one likes to hang out with people. And we're going to talk about this remaining in Him and how it impacts our life. And as Jesus talks about this, He always gives, he always gives the counter. Because see, the, the, the challenge for us today, the challenge for us today is for people to focus on the negative or the positive. Jesus always focused on the benefit. But he always warned people that if they didn't change, there were consequences. And in John 15, 6, Jesus, we read these verses, but Jesus said some words that really just stick out. They stick out because in this message of remaining and abiding and being fruitful, joy and love, he says something. He says, listen, if you remain in me, if you do not remain in me, and you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and they're burned. So you choose. You choose. You choose to live a life of abundance. You choose. I love what Joshua said, Joshua twenty four fifteen. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I mean, parents, hey, it's your duty. Mommy, Daddy, listen to me. Your kids... As long as you're putting food on the table and giving them a place to sleep. My boy's 21. I'm still the boss. I mean, brother, I love you, son. With all my heart, I give you everything. But the moment you choose to live your own life and go your own way, you're on your own. Let me help you, parents. Because that's exactly what the Father in Heaven does to you. If you remain in Him, if you choose to go after Him, you see, what I focus on today is not the sin, not the problem. What I focus on is the grace of God. It's the goodness of the grace of God that leads me to change every day. It's the goodness and the grace of God that gives me the power to get up and get going and begin to seek God and seek to do what He's called me to do for my life. It's His grace. It's His grace. Everyone say grace. We need a revelation of the grace of God. More of His grace. It's His goodness. And He's given you the ability to choose. He's given you that power. He has given you, He's created you a free agent. You can choose to remain or you can choose not to remain. Seventh grade in a, in a biology class or some kind of science class in my seventh grade at Thicket, uh, Thicket Middle School. 
I remember, junior high they called it back then, Fickett Junior High, I remember sitting in a class with a group of kids that I'd grown up with, and they were all talking and, and, and kind of using bad language. And I remember, I remember, this girl said, I was kind of, I was kind of testing the waters with my vocabulary. I hadn't quite stretched out that far, but I was going to inappropriate places with my vocabulary, using language that I knew that I wasn't supposed to use. And I started testing the waters. And this girl looked at me and she said, aren't you supposed to be one of those Christians? Just like that. And man, every foul word came popping out of my mouth. She goes, oh yeah, you know, you're one of us. It's kind of that feeling. I made a choice at that moment. And for the next 10 years of my life, let me tell you, life was hell. I made a lot of wrong choices because I made a choice not to remain. God didn't kick me out. I just chose to go my own way. I was the prodigal son. If you choose to remain, He gives you that power. These are pretty scary verses. Uh, You can just take this verse. You can read it and underline it and think about it for yourself because if you know today you're not in right relationship and you're not remaining in Him, this verse ought to roll through your mind. This ought to be a verse that makes you a little bit nervous. You know, some guys say, ah, you're not going to lose it, and you're always going to be okay. I don't know. Cut off, withered up, put into the fire to burn. That just That to me is pretty scary. That's a pretty scary passage. So we're just going to move on from that passage, all right? I want to say, let's move on. All right, we want to move on. <laughs> all right. So we go through our passage. We're, we're just interpreting the Bible. And we're, we're reading with the words of Jesus and now they're becoming alive to us and the kind of life that we can have and the benefit of heaven and answered prayer and the promise of His Holy Spirit and the comfort to know that He's going to return and which brings the peace that passes all. I mean, these are all the benefits. Guys, why would you want anything else? I like my God help you. Jesus, help them. I just, last night we were up here, we were praying for people, and Glenn and I were praying for some young people that were in our church that were just really mightily used of God over the last couple of years, and something happened in their lives the last few months, and they let bitterness come in, they got hurt about something, and there was a whole group of them that kind of left our church. And I was up here crying last night. I was praying for them, because I know how much pain, I know how much pain they're setting themselves up for. I know that that pathway and I don't know if there's a way that seems right to a man. I'll, I'll tell them how good the service is. If you let me talk to them real quick. They can just come on down. No. But I know. I know. I know the pain that's coming into their life. I know. I know it because I've experienced it. And it's not, a, it's not a fun thing to experience the discipline of God. It's not, a, it's not a fun thing. God loves you so much. But He leaves us up to our own devices. So Jesus... Jesus is taking us back. I want us to look at some key words just for a moment here. Some key words. We see the word remain. It's used ten times in 17 verses. Ten times. That's significant. Remaining in Jesus. You make a choice. You make a choice in your language. You make a choice in the movies you watch. You make a choice in the things that you drink and the things you put in your body. No one makes you do anything. You make a choice. Now, you can have addictions and you can have footholds in your life that you need God to supernaturally deliver you from because you've allowed the walls of your life to be broken down in that area. But let me tell you, His power is greater. The power of God is greater. I want to give you hope today. We have a ministry here called Celebrate Recovery. And that ministry is to help people who have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. I'm, I'm doing my own little private Celebrate Recovery at home. And I have the Scripture verses written down and I'm meditating on them because what I recognize is that we're all in recovery. 
We're all being restored. Come on. We're all being restored. We're all being made to the image of Christ. None of us obtained. Paul said, no, not one. But we must remain. And then he talks about, he talks about another word, love. Nine times. Nine times the word love. Love one another. Do you know how you know you're part of a healthy church? When people can have disagreements and still love one another. Because isn't that what happens in your family? Come on. Isn't that what happens? Do you, have you ever had a disagreement with your spouse? Come on. And you still love them? But let me tell you, if you don't allow love to be the guiding principle, and you don't repent quickly and seek to make up, that love that you have now can turn to bitterness. And that's how divorce happens. Because when divorce happens in a relationship, there's a lack of remaining in Christ. There's a lack of love taking place in the relationship. And that's not God's way. And then Jesus says this. He says that you will bear much fruit. You will bear much fruit. The context of this helps us understand what Jesus is talking about. What does it mean to bear fruit? What does it mean to bear fruit? You know, in our language, a word can mean a lot of different things. Is that right? Like if I said the word grass, you would say grass could have different meanings. Isn't that right? If I said, if I said something, if I said the word gay, the word gay has different meanings in our culture, right? If I said the word lean to you, lean could have different meanings, right? It could be a board leaning up against the wall, or boy, she looks really lean. I mean, the same word can mean different things, isn't that right? Uh, uh, I was thinking about the word bail, you know? Bail can be, there's a new bail place right over here, a little... Bell bondsman set up a shop right across the street from the church. Or bell could be something that you take to throw out water that's in the bottom of a boat. Or somebody got bailed out. The banks got bailed out. The same word can mean different things. You know, a, a, a young lady can get up and, and she can sing a song and someone can say, that song was the bomb, but that girl bombed. Right? Same word. And it can mean completely opposite things. I actually looked up, there's actually a meaning for that. There's actually a word for that. It's called anti-auto-autonomen. Auto-autonomen. And it means, the word that says this thing, but, but means different things. The word that says the same thing, that means different things. So when we look at a word like fruit, love, remaining, we have to understand it in context. See, you can't just say, I want this word to mean anything that I want it to mean. Uh, and people do that all the time. Uh, these Bible prophecy guys that are on TV, bless their hearts, they'll take a word and they'll give it a definition that that, that definition has never been interpreted that way in 2,000 years of Christian history. And all of a sudden they got a new revelation. And I'm like, you know what? If it's been wrong for 2,000 years, it ain't right today. You know, it just doesn't work that way. Words have meaning. Words taken literally can be figurative, even in the Bible. And so when we look at this concept of fruit, we have to look at what fruit means. I've got a few verses that I want you to help, help you to see what fruit means in the Bible. The way that fruit is used in the Bible. First of all, there's the fruit of repentance. Matthew chapter 3, verse number 8. The fruit of a changed life, or the way of living. Matthew chapter 26, 29. Jesus says, the fruit of the vine. He talks about the fruit of the vine, that grape that was crushed that produced wine that was taken at the Passover meal. In Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about we bore fruit for death. He talked about living a sinful lifestyle. 
in Galatians chapter 5, Paul talked to the church at Galatia. And he says that we are to be full of the fruit of the Spirit. So we see that this word fruit has different meanings in the Gospels. The word fruit is the invisible power of the Holy Spirit of those who are brought into right relationship with God. That's what fruit is. The fruit in your life is is that working of the Holy Spirit in you producing good life. Producing good life. I had an orange in my hand right now. I actually had an orange, but my wife cut it up this morning to serve my boy's oranges so you didn't get to see the beautiful fruit that I had. But you know, I thought about that orange. Just imagine, can you see that orange? I think that a beautiful color. I thought about that orange. You know, that orange didn't struggle to become that piece of orange, did it? I mean, that orange, some farmer, they put the right nutrients and they gave it, you know, it was planted in the right area and it got the right fertilization and the right water. And that orange was just the result of a healthy tree. It was just the result of a healthy tree. It just produced good fruit. The branch did what it was supposed to do. It produced good fruit. And the fruit, the orange, just did what it was made to do. And that's what happens when you walk with Christ. And you say yes to the Holy Spirit. I sum it up in a little four-letter word. O-B-E-Y. The, the sooner you obey the Holy Spirit, the more fruit grows in your life. You've been a Christian now 20 years and you're still mean, cantankerous, using bad language, looking at porn on TV. You know what? You've got bad fruit growing in your life. You've been a Christian for all these years and you still... Let me tell you, there's fruit that's not good in your life. And so what has to happen? The Holy Spirit saying, listen, I want you to come back to me. I want you to remain in me. If you remain in me, I'll remain in you and you will bear good fruit. You know, what kind of, you know what good fruit is in your life? Good fruit is that you love people today more than you love people 20 years ago. You love the person that you like the least more today than you did five years ago. That's the hard one. It's easy for me to love people that like me. It's really hard for me to love someone who said something really bad and nasty and mean about me this week. I was really struggling with loving them. I always say something, Lord, bless them if you can. Lord, bless them if you can. Joy. Are you, you have more joy today. Is there more peace in your life? Are you better at managing your money today because you've obeyed the commands of God and you learned the ways of God of money management? Are you kinder to your wife? I mean, these are all things that happen as a result of bearing fruit in our relationship with God. See, there's a fruit. It's the fruit of becoming more like Jesus. And why did he do this? He said, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Bearing fruit brings glory to God. Bearing fruit brings glory to God. That's what you're created for. You were created to bring glory to God. You go to school, you're a student, you're a student at school, and you're thinking, I'm just going to get through this, I don't care, this doesn't mean anything. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand who you are. You don't understand. I'm so proud of Rick. Rick's gone back to school and he's working on his minister's license and he's just studying he, he comes back last month and he scored like a 98 out of 100 on his test and said pastor i got a 98 yeah i'm like go rick so sometimes you know when you get older like you wish you would have studied that back in high school like you're on the calculator now counting your toes because you never figured out your multiplication tables right come on grammar you're like somebody asked you to write a letter you're like oh comma goes there you're not quite sure is it i before e after c you're not quite sure i wish i would have listened to that a little better in school come on anyone there 
Right? You're a student at school. You know what? Everything we do, we do as unto the Lord. We go to our job. So many believers miss this. The way to promotion. The way to get a promotion. I'm going to give it really simple to you. Don't go to work for the man. Go to work for the man. Come on. Go to work for the man. When you start to go to work for the man, you stop seeing your paycheck as just a paycheck, and you see your paycheck as a way to advance the purposes of God, all of a sudden the spirit of excellence rises up. You're not late anymore. You're not always rushing in at the last moment. and You're always not the one kind of fudging corners on the time clock. You're not doing the silly stuff that other people do. You're not laying in bed, missing a day of work because you just didn't feel like getting up today. You realize you were created and destined for a purpose. I'm helping you today. Come on, I'm helping you to remain in Jesus. Because when you remain in Jesus, you will produce fruit that remains. And when fruit begins to remain in your life, God is glorified. And when God is glorified, this little light in you becomes a bright light. And you are no longer like this person with a blanket on top of them. Now someone says, wow, there's something different about your life. There's something different about you because your light is shining. You become the light of the world. And then we have an Easter resurrection service. We have a Good Friday service. And you're saying, you know what? I know the mission of God. I know that I've been created to glorify Him. And I know someone else that needs this. I know that I know someone else that knows that needs to know the love of God and the, the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and the hope that's found and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm going to bring Him out to a resurrection service. Come on. I'm going to bring Him out. I'm going to let Him hear the good news of the gospel of Christ so excited about this Easter. i got Good Friday already in my heart. I'm ready to preach Good Friday right now. I'm ready to preach Easter. Love wins. It wins. The love of God compels us in this city to be people who produce fruit and let it remain. So here's the challenge today. Here's the challenge. you got a little card. We're going to go right to that little card. I'm ch- I, I, I want you to walk away with something today. I want you to walk away with something in your life today. See, you make a choice today. You make a choice today. When you remain in Christ, prayers are answered. When you remain in Him, prayers are answered. When you remain in Christ, you bring glory to God. When you remain in Him, you're a person who experiences joy. You have joy, the joy of the Lord. Listen, guys, we all got it. Every person has stuff. Every person has challenges. Every person has things that tick them off, make them angry, unfair. Every person in this room. But you make a choice to remain and to allow His joy to fill your life today. See, Jesus said in Matthew seven twenty four. actually turn the back of your card over. It's our scripture memory verse this week. And Jesus said these words, Matthew seven twenty four. Therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Built his house on the rock. I want you to write down in your notes one area of your life. Come on, just write down an area of your life where the fruit isn't that good. And you know that you want God's Holy Spirit to help you. You want the Holy Spirit of God to help you remain in a deeper way. Come on, I want everyone to just take your notes up. Everyone in this room, you got something in your life. There's an error in your life because we want to be a church of application. It doesn't do any good to have all this knowledge and leave here not changed. It doesn't do you any good. No good. 
when we come into this place, we're hearers of the word, and the next step for us is to become doers. You can put that verse, Matthew 7, 24, if I, I want us to read that verse out loud together as a church. Can we do that? Matthew 7, 24. It's on your yellow card. You can read it with me this morning. Let's read this together. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Everyone who hears these words. You can be a wise man and build your house upon the rock. Christ Jesus, the word. Or you could be a foolish person. Build your house upon the sand. It's yours. The choice is yours today. I challenge you today. We've got some little commitments there. I challenge you to read your Bible this week. Do the daily plan. Stay on the plan that we're doing. Uh, Easter's coming. We're going to challenge you to start praying about who God would have you to invite to the Easter service. Being part of the spirit of generosity that we have every Easter where we give away prizes and gifts. Easter is a great holy day. It's a great day. It's a great day of celebration. We don't worship Easter eggs. There's Christians that always get twisted up about all the stuff, that the you know, the, the cultural stuff. It doesn't mean anything. Listen, kids, when they come to church, they want to do one thing. They want to have fun. When it's And I determined, I grew up in a church that I didn't always have fun. As a matter of fact, I didn't even have children's church. They made the kids, when I was growing up, sit on the front row. And I had to sit there and listen to that pastor go on and on and on and on. I didn't have a choice. I said, man, if I ever have a church, my church, my church the kids are going to have fun. When kids have fun, they learn. And when they learn about Jesus, their lives will be forever changed. And everyone said, amen. This morning, we're talking about fruit that remains. and Our ushers are going to come. We're going to receive our offering at this time. Uh, I want to challenge, I want to encourage you. You've written down something in your life that you're going to commit to, working on fruit in your life that you want the Holy Spirit to, to help grow in a better way so that you can bring glory to God. This morning, we're going to receive our tithe and our offering. The result of a fruitful life, the result of a fruitful life in your life is that you have the heart to give. We love to give. We love to give. My wife and I, we love to give. We gave the very first offering to this church. The very first offering that was ever given to this church was by my wife and I. Because we believed in the mission. We love to do it. Your result, the fruit of my generosity. I could have given it someplace else. I could have kept it for myself. But I made a choice to live a generous life. When we choose to tithe, when we choose to give our offering, we're choosing, we're choosing to bear good fruit in God's kingdom. I want to pray this morning over you as you prepare to give your tithe and your offering. I want to thank those of you that give in this first service for making the dream possible. Those of you that are still working through this area, we're, we, we love you. We want you to grow in God. We want you to, to know that there's great power in giving and generosity today. And I believe today that what God's doing in your heart, the Holy Spirit's going to reveal to you. He's going to illuminate to your heart this great gift that you have in giving to see His kingdom come. Father, I thank you this morning for the fruit that remains. I thank you that as we abide in you, you said you will abide in us. and That, that fruit will remain and will bring glory to the Father. I thank you today, Lord, that you created us to be people of love and joy and peace. Thank you for the victory that's in this house today. Thank you for this atmosphere of faith. In Jesus' name. The yellow cards at this time, you can put them in the button with your offering. I would appreciate that. God bless you. As the offering bucket passes this morning, 
just a moment. Tom is going to lead us in a song of conclusion. I want to thank you for coming. I want you to remind you next week or this Wednesday night, all of our small groups that meet throughout the week, check them out on the website. Next Sunday, next Sunday, you're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be an incredible Sunday. And until uh, we see it again, God bless you. Tom, lead us. Close us. What a friend we have in Jesus. Down there, so we can, I can, good. Okay, good. Hey, Brett, you're man. Glad you're here today. Love you.